Oh, thank you for having a pronounceable surname. It's extremely kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> really now is. you're going to pronounce it wrong, aren't you? It's Rayman. I mean, yeah. I can't. Rayman. <laughs> Rayman. <laughs> All right. Uh, we ready? We're doing it. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I am Andy Uri and alongside me is the fabulous Pippa Sturt. Hi, Andy. And today we are joined by Leo Raymond. Hello, thanks, Leo. Thanks for having me. Lovely to be here. No, very what good. A pleasure. Welcome to the podcast. Um, so, Leon, uh, we... Leo. 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 Sorry. Fuck's we can cut that out, Dee, can't we? <laughs> Sorry, did I say it both times? Is that no, right? you were okay the first time. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay, thanks. Leon's yeah. different. It's a different feel to it somehow, Leon. I don't know, yeah. Sounds a bit murdery. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. In the Assassin-y. film, the, the Leon film, yeah. <laughs> yes. Maybe a bit That's weird. That's exactly, kids, but... I think... <laughs> We are in the wrong emotional genre for my next question. But my next question is a serious one, which okay. is, what is keeping you up at night? You know, when you have, you've realised something and you kind of wish everyone else had realised it as well. And so I look every day at thinking about, I spend my entire day thinking about how do I help use what skills I have and what skills you guys have to help us make this great transition to life after carbon happen. And I'm kind of worried about the fact that there are too many people who just rather not look at it not think about it. Well, I think there are days of us that just have our hands over our eyes. Because it's easier, really. And yeah. I mean, maybe that's normal and human, but it's also kind of terrifying and dangerous as well. And I'm not, I'm really not, I'm not a sandal wearing sustainability person. You'll see that as we go. But um, <laughs> Yeah, no sandals. They are old shoes that I got out of the cupboard. Okay. Um, but I, and I, you know, I'm trying not to be worried about it, but I, and I'm not worried, but I do sort of see an amazing opportunity to do something a bit differently and think differently about it. And there's like, I'll just get into it. Don't you think there's moments in the history of like the world where people suddenly started seeing things differently? I keep thinking about, someone once told me about, this is going to sound pretty crazy, but like, you know, someone once discovered perspective in art. Yeah. Suddenly these Italians yeah, yeah. started it's painting the, in 3D. It's called the Renaissance. Well, exactly. Yeah. And, but someone before that was all 2D, weren't they? Yeah. I know you love your history. The early Renaissance. Very good. All yeah, right. Well, how did you get from like, God makes that apple fall to maybe it might be gravity? Or how did you go from like, the way we've been living our lives and most of the way we grew up, you know, our age, to one after that, which is different. I like your 2D to 3D example because 2D to 3D, the reason they move from 2D to 3D just as much as we move from beta backs to, uh, you know, DVDs or whatever is it's better. Like, you know, coming along with your 2D pictures at the local market when someone's cracked the 3D, <laughs> you know, you'd be like, oh, look at Roger. Poor chat, you can't work it out. No you depth, know? no, no depth. depth. It's got no depth. <laughs> with your cartoon Simpson cutout, you know, two-dimensional world. It's not cutting it next to a sort of, you know, spiral of death. So, but here's our problem with climate change. We don't know what that looks like. And it, we're scared. Well, we sort of think it might be better eventually. No, there's no one making that story. No one's telling that story. And I'm not like I'm not a sort of utopian tech will solve everything the world's bright and shiny on the other side I really don't think that but I think that's the sort of psychological shift required and I can see that if you spend your whole day in like one of those reporting jobs measuring carbon footprint it's important Mm -hmm. but we need to sort of know that's where we start from otherwise how can you change it but if you spend your whole day saying what you shouldn't do and getting upset about being frustrated because no one is listening to you in the organisation or your business you work in or, or you don't know how to do it yourself and you sort of feel a bit guilty about really you sort of know what you should be doing but you don't really know quite how and what all adds I don't up think anyone really knows what they should no, be No, no, they're not clear. And, and nor am I necessarily, but I think there's that, it sort of leads you to a place of kind of quite a sort of broken dead end and that's where we all are about it. 
but we could shift to thinking about it differently. Do you not think part of the problem is that kind of fundamental, and it's something to do with human nature, frankly, the inertia thing of somebody else. I'm just one person. I'm a little person. Somebody else somewhere is going to sort this out. Somebody's going to solve it. And it's not going to be me. It's going to be the governments of the world or whatever else. I will just sit here and wait for the apple to fall from the tree. And that, you know, that might happen, but it might be quite a while. And it'll get a lot more unpleasant before that starts to really kick in. A very smart friend of mine says to me, actually, it's less about what you use yourself do in terms of your plastic recycling, which, by the way, doesn't really make much difference at all relative to what's going on out there. But hey, we do it anyway, because it's good, pra- good practice. It, but where, what's the lever you can pull most effectively? So for you guys, for example, is using your podcast as a space to kind of have this conversation. And the most powerful thing you could do to affect the most number of people most radically? Don't know. That was one way of thinking about like systems change or whatever. Well, do you, do, I mean, for us, we're advisors, you know, and I, I, this is thought leadership, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? No. I mean, we're all vomiting into cups because it's a, it's a stereotype word, but effectively it's a shorthand for the fact that we, our thoughts need leadership. I mean, you know, let's be real about it. Like, it's a really complicated problem. It we is. all have to work together. That's true. You know, we got to. I, I didn't think you quite get to what you wanted to say, so I think we need to hear that because you know you're leaning towards a more sort of optimistic mindset towards it. But we know we got to work together. So my basic view on it is we will work together, and it may be it's just a question of how many of us are going to die because you could plot a graph of human death versus humanity spending money and sorting out climate change, and at some point it will hit. Now, I don't know if that's in the next 30 years or that's in the next 200 years. It could be, and we could wipe ourselves out in the process. Well, we might have wars, it might get worse. No, I think it's more likely to be that. My, and who knows? None of us knows, really. And I'm not buying a, you know, myself a villa in New Zealand to kind of cope with it, unfortunately. But And why would I? But I think the most likely thing is kind of really intense versions of the things that are bad now happen more. And there's, there is a version of what happens next, which is much more inequality than now. Not necessarily the, what the journey of our experience was like, what, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever, that things were getting sort of better. Yeah. But it's not necessarily true. You think about immigration is a real challenge and people get very upset about it in the UK. Imagine immigration when there's no water and nothing to eat. Well, once the resource, we've been going in a direction of more and more resources. No one wants to lower their standard of living. You start shutting off resources, people are going to go mental. But, you know, there was a period there, right? Looking at the micro level, looking at the UK... There was, and you're going to really hate me for this because I'm going to bang on about the same thing, but there was a point about 13 years ago and 10 years before that when things really did seem to be getting better in the UK, where we seemed to be dealing with poverty, dealing with immigration, dealing with all those things. Not perfectly, but in a way that seemed to be moving in the right direction. Well, the 90s and the noughties were really globally two of the most successful, yeah. peaceful periods of history. Even though there was loads of... War- in the 90s particularly... Although weirdly, we were probably sort of blithely kind of enjoying it whilst sowing seeds of great challenge thereafter. You know, have you heard that Nigel Farage apparently might be going out on a kind of net anti-net zero position? Have you heard oh, that stuff? I don't know if that's true or not. I think that's just because he... He's a narcissistic bastard. But it's also indicative of like, there's, a, there's someone's got to pay, why should it be us? And there's this sort of clash of, there's always people from, and it is often like liberal middle class type saying, we all got to consume less, la la la. And then someone else saying, well, who's going to pay for that? With climate change, if it requires mass change amongst people, both societies, Japan and, and probably Germany, these very compliant societies, they're miles ahead of us. The Brits, we're a rebellious load of inventors. And maybe that's, maybe what we're leading there is that we've got to use invention. But please, what, what, so this thing's bothering you. It could be really bad. 
where, where now? And that's not, yeah, and that's not what dwells in my mind the whole time. I'm not like sort of, but I've been thinking there's just not enough attempt to kind of reimagine a better future and start to make tracks towards that and help, particularly help companies, businesses, small and large, see that there's a commercial upside in it. How could you make good profit, create a great business that is dominant in the future because you've figured out how to have a clean share of market? No one talks about a clean share of market, but they should. What does it mean to have a share of market where you're using less carbon than the, the next people? That's what clean share of market means. I made it up, but that's kind of the point. Yeah, yeah. but it, that's not a piece of language that's currently in circulation, but it should be because the clean share of market companies should be the ones that win at the expense of the dirty ones that aren't changing their habits. There's a lot, I mean, when I say there's a lot of greenwashing, I worked in cosmetics for 15 years and I, I mean, the whole thing is a lie. You know, right. it, it's selling gunk to the You're insecure. not worth it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just, I mean, if you, okay, I'll tell you, if you don't believe me, you know, it says if people have got sensitive skin they always say to you oh well I only have anything that's dermatologically tested and dermatologically tested means you failed the dermatological test dermatologically approved which is really hard to do by the way there's like three products on the market who do it it means yeah you can apply it to all sorts of skins and you don't have a reaction so you learn these things early in the cosmetic industry and you're just like what I like are the adverts that say up to 100% success rate which presumably is anywhere between zero. zero and but there's a lot of greenwashing. But underneath it, there's also a fucking army of people out there researching and trolling this shit. And there is a movement of like, what is what is calling bollocks, what is, bullshit literally, yeah, which yeah, is fitting for this yeah. show on the claims. And there's a big thing going on at the moment about ad claims or you know product claims being being lies and stuff. And that's really helpful to have that view, but it's also not a sort of, I don't think it can be a black or white kind of scenario because there's a sort of space in between now and next where it's going to be quite grey for a while. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Ori Clark was born and raised right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others get set up and on their way Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide Straight, talking, financial and legal advice since 1935 Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please On Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify So you'll never miss an episode Now back to the chat but let me understand you a little bit. What's your background in this? 25 years in sales and marketing. I mean, okay. I was part of the problem, I suppose. And then in terms of what are you doing exactly now? You advise larger companies. What Two things. I help big companies get more sustainable and small sustainable companies get big. So I'm working on both sides of the equation. The reason I've done that is I've figured out, right, I'm going to take 5 million tonnes of carbon dioxide or equivalent out of the atmosphere in the next five years. How am I going to do it? Oh, that's great. So you set, you set yourself a target to... Partly because no one was doing that. They're all, the people working in the space right now are either agencies, ad agencies making communications but not knowing enough about it and so they greenwash, usually by accident, to be honest. Mm. Or it's kind of people working in reporting and pledging and kind of doing carbon footprinting, which is important, but it doesn't tell you so what to do next. There's a load of PR firms, you know these guys, they're doing narrative design. But I'm not sure narrative design is going to save us. What we need is a more fundamental rethink about how are you going to make money tomorrow in a way that's not going to kill everyone 
or your own kids or your own family, your own communities. So as a marketing person or a consultant by background, I guess I know how to drive aspiration and shape behavior and think about how you take an organization on that journey. Yeah, to be sort of brutal about it, is a discipline. He's a very intelligent man. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, you know I, your advice seems, but is in, in, in a basic disciplines, marketing on a broader sense, you know, would that yeah, be- Yeah, marketing, looking, innovation. Because, because everyone misunderstands that word. I know, I'm head of marketing in the firm, which is basically- <laughs> Great job. Everyone thinks I'm head of sales, but, you know, uh, I forget I'm doing, I, I end up doing PR half the time, but really I'm a market, you know. But Marketing is this big word because it is really, as you say, it's, it's the fundamental link between who is your market, why do they want to buy it, and what is it? And so you're saying take a more optimistic, positive approach to say your duty and your market is to make this thing like without pissing off anyone, you know? And the 100%, and there's a thing, have you heard of this thing called the say-do gap? You, if you ever get into this space, you read about it a lot, right? People that say they like want that. I'm going to teach my kids say-do gap. <laughs> Very much this so. This is the say-do gap. You do as I say, <laughs> I do as I please. This is the say-do gap. That's a much better version. You know, there's a real tone in how you're approaching this conversation I think is really important is that it's not to dramatize things. It's like, you know, I, I've been in business. I don't judge people for the fact that they want to build a t-shirt company that makes super ethical t-shirts. But in order to promote the company, they bought some t-shirts from China, you know, made by in a, in a sweat factory cheap because that's what they had to do when they're starting. The, you know, basically greenwashing is mostly because you have to cut corners when you're a small business and no, nobody really knows. So, and then you're taking the big company example, which is like, I'm like this fucking enormous supplier of services that's, you know, there are replacements of plastic, sure, but they're not that well tested. There aren't that many of them. They are more expensive. It's complicated to enter your supply chain. I mean, you've got Unilever producing a billion bottles a day. They can't just switch to hemp bottles that, you know, no one's tested properly. Or, but one, you know. thing, one thing we can't have, though, is, is big companies not taking it on as a real challenge and not thinking oh, creatively or laterally Number about one, how to solve well, number one on the list. the whole um, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah, yeah, don't yeah, go, yeah, yeah. We haven't tested any of these things. We don't know how to do any of these things, so we'll just carry on doing what And also because it's a lot easier just to kind of not make too much change in your regular life because it's too painful. But that's why I want to work with, and I do work with very small startups that might, if they're lucky, have an exponential impact on the, on the thing yeah. because... We can't necessarily wait for some big people to get their heads together. We also need to kind of, so I back both sides of the equation, hoping that I'll work out one way or the other, which is the right one to go for to get I'm to my five million target. Talking about you and sustainability and how much you care about people actually not just measuring it, but doing something about it. We haven't actually mentioned Eden Labs and what they do. So I built this company. It's about, it's only about five months old. Um, it's rocking. It's really going. And what we're doing is helping big and small companies work out how to make money green, basically. How are you going to grow your business and and succeed in a world of you know where net zero is normal, where so there is a post carbon world somewhere down the line? So let's start on it now. What does it look like? For example, how do you help a giant tour operator or a tour operator holiday company build a sustainable travel marketplace? There are small companies doing some amazing stuff, by the way. One called Byways. That's kind of Byways, quite interesting, like slow travel. By how do you spell that? B Y W A Y. So, so give me an example in more detail. Like you go into a business, you sit with them, you listen to what they're saying, and then what you write, write them a report, you bring yeah, in other work, people. We work together. I sort of use, I usually inspire them with, look, here's some examples of people that are getting it right, big and small. What would that mean for you? So here's a small one. There's a brilliant, brilliant um, electric toothbrush company called Suri, S-U-R-I. Try Suri.com as a website. I recommend it. In fact, I went to my hygienist today. She said it was doing a brilliant job. 
Oh, really? to hear, isn't I it? think I might have one of those. How can an Uri not have a Suri? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, you hey. need it. <laughs> I mean, so what they've done is they've said they used to work in like PNG and stuff. They know all that well. But what they've done is they've said, right, we're going to redesign the toothbrush head to be compostable. It's made out of castor oil bristles. It feels great, by the way, in your mouth. It's much nicer than the nasty big Classic. company ones. Then they have designed it so that you can take the battery out when it dies, because the other ones, most ones, you can't take the battery out. So you right. sort of literally, it's in every toothbrush you ever had is in landfill. Yeah, nice thought. These guys, they can take it out and refurb it, put it back in. So you can have the same toothbrush effectively forever. And, but this is the critical thing. It's, imagine if Johnny Ive swallowed the sustainability Bible and then decided to go after circular electric toothbrushes. That's what it looks like and feels like to you. So it's also way better than the sort of aggressive thing you normally use. I'm in. Even, you know, there's um, another client we're working with. So there's guys that make those amazing mattresses that you get delivered off the internet. You know oh, I'm ones? just about to buy one of those. From, Can I not now? You, well, there uh, are some Emma, better ones around. I was thinking. So did you know it's made out of oil? Which oh, one? Fuck. Which one? Which one are you getting? Emma. But those guys are trying... Simba particularly trying to move away from an oil-based formulation, reducing it, getting into bio-latex. Are you basically telling me I can't buy mattress? No, but do you think that idea that, like, if I was really mean, I'd say, how's it feel sleeping on fossil fuel? Like, yeah, I'm not into it. I think this is a lot like the digital transformation of the last 20 years. It's a much bigger and much more important, which is there were some people who kind of got on it, learned about it, got confident and moved forward in their lives. And there were some that kind of were scared, didn't want to engage. And 20 years later, they couldn't find work. This is going to be exactly the same. Is it mostly an age thing, though, do you think? No, it's an attitude thing. It's like, what's your psychology? Are you kind of able to embrace and deal with change? Are you terrified of it, probably? Is it not a financial thing, everyone says? I, well, I often look at it, it annoys me. I go to the supermarket and look at like the kitchen roll you can buy, right? And the, the, the eco one is more expensive than the regular yeah. one. And I guess it's to do with scale and the factory or something. It's so like... That won't be like that in the future, but for now, it's a massive pain in the ass. There's a great firm. Do you know um, homewares retailer Dunelm? I think it's a really good example of how you get this right, right? So their view is, we're going to encourage our customers who are doing sort of home makeover to bring the stuff they can't get rid of back to the store. Now, you might say that's naughty, you shouldn't be doing home makeover in the first place. If you're a pure sustainability person, you wouldn't do that. But nonetheless, people are going to do it, and it's a hassle. The convenient thing is to take it to Dunelm and you're playing on the sheer convenience of getting rid of your rubbish. Two things then happen. One is, if it's good enough, they then give it to local communities. And if it isn't good enough, they kind of then put it into remanufacturing and turn it back into pillars or cushions or whatever, and then they sell it in their stores, but at a reduced price so that people can afford to buy it. It's the same price as the new That's one. good. It's, it's, well, it's interesting because it's circular, you know, keeping stuff in the economy, and it's also good for, the, good for social impact. That's your sort of double win. My issue with that, or not my issue, like the problem with that is that creative steps like that are quite hard. You know, there's not many people who can do it and you also need to be in the right place to do it, i.e. they're going to listen to you. You know, we're not too bad. The Americans are quite good, but some cultures it's like, well, you ain't the boss. You know, no one's listening, you know. And actually, that yeah, that's the there's definitely something there, which is that a lot of people working in sustainability roles and companies the last 20 years have really been like banging their heads on a door. People don't want to listen. Yeah, because they're too junior. Too junior. Often there's a thing which I definitely is true, is that it's women trying to persuade old white men to listen to them at board level. Oh, don't tell me Here we go. <laughs> do you know what I mean, though? No, a bit I do know what you mean. There's yes, that yes going. I do. I think there probably is. And there's, but also it's that there's a bunch of skills about how you persuade people to get excited about doing something, which is about mm -hmm. setting vision, showing what's possible, getting excited, talking about money and commerce. And it's really hard when you're also worrying about changing the lights out for LEDs and who's the power supplier. And so I feel yeah. very sad. I feel sorry and sad for those people because they've been working relentlessly for a long time and getting finding it really hard to persuade 
the rest of the firms take it on. But it's time to build the bridge between those those sort of two camps. You know, if I've if I've got anything from this conversation, it's it's that you're kind of saying to people, you know, if I was to say to a small and medium business, what what should I be doing? It's like, well, take a day, take your senior management, get in a freaking room and get a piece of paper and come up with something. You know, this is some serious fucking shit going on. If you're a manufacturer, work it out. If you're not a manufacturer, it's all a bit, oh, we work for home and whatever. It's like, still, take a room, you know, and sort of, you know, do something But spend the first part of that day, whatever you're doing, looking at examples of people who are trying and getting it right. So, Leo, uh, what do you think is bullshit in business? What is the thing that winds you up most or where you would like change about the way things work right now? I think like thinking about sustainability solely as reporting and pledging and making out excuses for not doing anything practical and optimistic about it. Look, yes. it's important. We have to ha- we have to understand that. I'm not denying that work, but it ain't going to pledging yes, us, pledging ourselves into oblivion. You know what I'm saying? Do you know what this Do is? Do something. The, the equivalent of as an entrepreneur, don't go to professional advisors when you're coming up with the idea that's insane and ask them, you know what I mean? It's like professional vibe, we're very useful people, but don't necessarily, you know, if you come to us, we're going to tell you problems and we're going to tell you complications, you know what I mean? Critical thinking, yeah, right. But I'm I'm not saying do stuff wildly because you might be making things worse. You've got to have a bit of science behind you, but it's just if all you spend your whole time thinking about like, the numbers I've got to report to the city about sort of made up that shit. That's a big company thing. That's a big company thing. And it's like, there's too much lies. Okay, so this we're going to ask you a list of questions. This is our quickfire questions, and we're going to get to know you a little better. You only have five seconds to answer each. We are not going to interrupt you. We probably will interrupt you, but we are going to stop each other. We're going to interrupt each other, interrupting each other. Mutually assured interruption, and then we're going to get to the end, and we may ask you a question or two. DQ the music. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. What was your first job? Uh, I worked in ad sales for the European, now defunct, newspaper. Sort of vaguely remember that. What was your worst job? Working as a porter in a medical publisher, carrying magazines around. I've seen some dark stuff. <laughs> it was nasty. It's not favourite subject at school? Uh, history. What's your special skill? Um, infusing people. Oh. What did you want to be when you grew up? Astronaut. Oh, that's what my dad wanted. What did your parents want you to Lawyer. <laughs> Same Best shit. Best job ever. They're both, they're both fucking up, up a tree. What's your go-to karaoke song? Um, Toxic by Britney. It's good. Oh, oh, we might get song. into that later. She put on the ponytails and everything. If you have the Mark Robson version. Yeah, I love that version. That's what inspired me. Oh, yeah. that's great. I find it so ironic. Um, office dogs. <clears throat> Where's he got? 100% business. Thank you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been fired? No, I haven't actually. Not knowing. You'll fire yourself. Yeah. What's your vice? Uh, I I love television. I I had three or four series in parallel during Christmas. One to sleep to and a couple to watch. (laughs) Uh, So you've got 30 seconds. What's your pitch for your company or, well, anything you want? You can sell your dog if you want. I don't have one. Uh, Eden Lab, we are the green growth accelerator. We're going to help make companies more sustainable and make money doing it. And that's how we're going to move the transition forward. Be part of that with us. www.edenlabsingular.co Boom. And where can people find you? In person. Well, no, I'd probably on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I'm a big LinkedIn player. Yeah, if only. LinkedIn is like my uh, platform of choice at the moment, yeah. Okay, cool. So there you have it. 
have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. And we'll be back with BWB Extra on Thursday. Until then... It's <laughs> ciao. <laughs>